Business Podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Cover podcast and is the only place where corporate responsibility and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction strategies. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. And welcome to this early June edition of the Net Zero Business Podcast from Edie. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be hosting this episode on what is shaping up to be the warmest week of the year so far here in the UK. If you're unfamiliar with this podcast series, it's a spin-off from our long-standing Sustainable Business Cover podcast, which recently celebrated the 101-episode milestone. Um, And this series specifically focuses on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with modern climate science and set net zero emissions goals, propped up by tangible interim ambitions. Since the UK set its own net zero target in law, the movement towards net zero by 2050 at the latest has grown. Globally, it now covers more than 70% of GDP. Businesses and public sector organisations have moved faster than their respective nations in many cases, setting tighter deadlines and stricter accounting requirements through their carbon and energy strategies to get ahead of this legislation curve. In each episode of this podcast series, we speak to one of these leading organisations, getting behind-the-scenes insight into target development and delivery plans. Guests so far for 2021 have included the University of Exeter, EY and Ella's Kitchen. Um, For some reason, we've had a lot of alliteration in terms of guests. This month, we're spotlighting the need to decarbonise the UK's childcare and early years sector in an exclusive interview with Child-Based Partnerships Health, Safety and Environment Director Mark Bird. If you're unfamiliar with Child-Based Partnership, it's a Buckinghamshire-headquartered business with more than 40 nurseries across the UK. All of these locations are registered as eco-schools and hold the eco-schools green flag status. Collectively, they serve around 6,000 children. Building on years and years of hard work on waste and resource management, sustainable energy and food procurement and environmental education, the company announced a net zero emissions target covering all nurseries and its head office in the latter half of 2019. After a hectic 2020 with COVID-19 restrictions in mind, Mark was recently able to take some time to sit down with me, giving me an exclusive look at the net zero target setting process and a look at how Childbase is planning to deliver against this vision within a decade. Mark explains all of this in far more depth and with far more eloquency than I ever could. So without further ado, let's play that interview with Mark in full. Well, good afternoon, Mark. It's a delight to catch up with you and have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Uh, Very busy, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, bearing up under it all. Same for a lot of people with lockdown easing and end of the financial year, I'm sure. So thank you for taking the time to come on the Net Zero Business podcast, I think around about a year after after your company set its net zero target. Yeah, so we um, uh, we were doing the work at the back end of 2019. Uh, it was a formally approved by my board on uh, the 2nd of March. And then, what, 20, 21 days later, uh, the first lockdown. Um, so 
thinned out the sales somewhat. Uh, we still sort of endeavoured to go about it, and there's still stuff in the plans now. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been not what we expected, but it's been yeah, there's been some positive there as well. Great, and I'm sure we can touch a little bit on what's been going on over the past year. But I'd love to hear about that target setting process in the first instance to start off. So I guess a good place to start would be why is 2030 a good deadline for for child base, and what exactly is covered by that net zero commitment? Just because different organisations include different scopes. Yeah, so um, I suppose our original target was um, to reduce our location based carbon which is about 1,333 tonnes um, to zero by 2045. Um, this was attached to the um, the IPC's report. Uh, so we're looking to do progressive, uh, sort of about 5% year on year over that period of time, certified mm-hmm. by our partners at PlanetMark. Uh, so that was, that was the original target. Uh, and it became quite apparent within the sort of first sort of 12 months of post that, initial accreditation that actually we need to accelerate this it needs to be done faster um, more aggressive and with a broader scope so um, via uh, the plant mark again and there they approached me and several others within their client base at the time uh, with a concept called zero by 30 uh, which was a, a consultation process to take in the whole of the business uh, scopes one scopes two scope three uh, the whole shebang and then set a net zero target uh, within 2030 so uh, that very much fit with what me and my team were looking at at the time like actually we really need to get our fingers out and, uh, and not just child-based but societally um, uh, to move it all forward so we, we essentially within 12 months of setting initial target we uh, ripped it up and brought it forward by 15 years mm-hmm. uh, expanded it into include um, you know the whole of scope three emissions which um, I was quite interested in as well because, as you said, not all companies set net zero targets that include scope three, um, uh, you know, for various reasons and, and probably very good reasons. Uh, but for me, I just felt it's to be to avoid any questions of transparency or to, to any sort of uh, questions around greenwashing or uh, and those sort of subject areas. It was important that we try to be as upfront and honest and transparent about it so we're going to tackle it and we're going to tackle as much of it as we as we can that's uh, which includes supply chain includes customer and uh, and um, employee mileages and these are these are big complicated issues that you don't have direct control over but nevertheless are important and do add to the sort of pot um so that was the that was how we ended up with that kind of target um i think any kind of plan of this type of scale should be very flexible and it should be a set in stone document that you've you write in 2020 and then this, well, that's it that's what we're doing it relies a lot on the plan for example on things that might end soon like the renewable heat incentive schemes due to expire mm-hmm. uh, 2022 um you know the, the nature of the uh, benefit in kind for cars is scaling up rather than scaling down is getting you know so there's we're in a world where um, the big targets are being set by, say, the government, but not necessarily supported with action. So the plan has got to be flexible enough to deal with the changing legislative environment. Um, uh, so, but yeah, and I, I do benefit from the support of the executive team here who are very much keen to to drive this forward in a very, uh, very stern, uh, very rigid and very, you know, let's get it done kind of way, you know, um, and uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's something that we've got to bring to the 
to our sector as well. It's very important that the sector, uh, the earlier sector, uh, takes its role in uh, as well as any other type of business. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And I'm sure we can talk about that sector specific piece um, in in a bit. But you touched there on something that's super important, which is timing. So which which bits of emissions do you tackle first and which do you tackle last, really? Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about what's happened so far. So what have been some of your first steps and what are some of the things that you think are going to come sort of right at the end of the decade? So some things that will be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, so um, the plan's split into different pathways. So we've got uh, uh, buildings uh, and we've got um, uh, sort of like the people um, and then we've got fleet uh, and then we've got supply chain. So those are the sort of main pathways. Working backwards on that list in terms of what will be the end of the plan, uh, things like the supply chain is going to take the longest, uh, but it might come in sort of weird chunks if you want as companies decide actually we we want to be really uh, green now and we're going to be really mindful of that and then they completely change their processes and um and then you suddenly find yourself lurching forwards in that particular area um we've held a supplier event already so that was right in january 2020 before the plan had been formally agreed but we held a supplier event with about 10 of our um from our top 20 list of suppliers um again we've we brought the planet mark in on that to provide some you know support in sense of, of carbon uh, and what that means to business um so and that that was very good and and we converted uh two to the cause out the back of that um uh, so that all of a sudden now our nursery supplies are um slightly and now slightly better um as a result of that so that's i guess those are the things that will take the most time mm-hmm. uh, as upfront the infrastructure stuff so um it's uh, we've got a big project on early lighting that we should have started in 2020 that was obviously has been delayed due to the pandemic uh so we're looking to um upgrade the lighting across about 16 nurseries uh, in this financial year so due to commencing probably the next couple of weeks across 16 sites uh, and then followed by another 16 in 2021-22 um financial year um and then fleets is a progressive so um you know we uh, have moved you know fairly quickly from all petrol diesel or predominantly diesel to um uh, to petrol hybrids uh, to plug-in hybrids and we've got what our first electric vehicle we've only got 35 cars it's not a big you know fleet like some of your uh, some of the listeners would have but it's still it's, it's still a sizable fleet for the size of our business so we mm-hmm. uh, we are planning to move across to evs um but that will be say 2026 20, 7 uh perhaps depending on the lease and the and the vehicle options available at the time um infrastructure is a big challenge there so uh you know we, our, our nurseries and, and the supply available at the sites for charging points and that kind of thing um however not insurmountable um you know we the, from our head office to our furthest way nursery and back is about 100 miles so you know most uh, electric vehicles are capable of doing that so it's not actually that scary a journey kind of thing we don't have that kind of delivery mileage issue where you go from place to place to place to place so um it's not that massive of a challenge it's just actually availability to the vehicles the price point um and other initiatives that support it in terms of government and whatnot uh, but the biggest thing that we've done very recently is um, about engagement so obviously mm-hmm. we're um, as we have no direct control over what our employees drive or what our customers drive and how often other means of getting to and from work. Uh, we've just partnered with a company called Fervor, 
um, who um, approached us more or less out of the blue uh, with this option of uh, stakeholder engagement. Um, so they um, have a very simple system you can find them on Instagram where you know you pay them say two pounds or I think it's four pounds the basic one um, and then you get entered into a prize draw and then they offset emissions attached to that so as a you get to sort of like almost gamify um, your personal carbon footprint and they want to take that into the workplace setting um, so basically uh, there's a, a newsletter sent out every every month to all of the employees um, and then uh, a survey is attached to every other newsletter. Uh, the newsletters include hints and tips on sustainable travel and, uh, and sustainable life in general um, and the, uh, the surveys build a progressively greater uh, more granular picture of the uh, stakeholder travel habits like what do you drive, how often um, have you thought about swapping? And then the next survey would be the similar questions, but have you changed after you know the information? So then, the benefit for me is that it means we can create a better and more accurate model of uh, the actual stakeholder travel habits, uh, and while engaging to improve it. So we get like a two a two sort of headed beast, which uh, uh, which helps us deal with it. Which is um, yeah, it's a really I think it's a fairly unique idea. I'm sure there's other similar concepts out there, but it's um, something we're really proud of. Um, so it's literally launched to employees at the start of May and it goes live for customers uh, in the start of June um, following World Environment Day on the uh, on the 5th of June, isn't it? Uh, so, that's the, uh, so that's the plan with that one. So those, you know, I don't, the plan is obviously going to finish in 2030 uh, and the things that we're looking to have achieved the infrastructure is nice and simple once you've replaced your lights you've replaced them and then ongoing maintenance um, and then obviously then then operate at zero uh, but the longer longer term things are obviously going to be supply chain and stakeholder engagement but um, you know we'll, we'll take that very seriously great well we've touched on so many key topics i'd say they're everything from employee engagement to electric vehicles but one thing that i did want to come on to is offsetting so as with scopes it's something that sits slightly differently within any organization's plans it varies massively from organization to organization um so i'd like to know about whether offsetting features features in this 2030 plan at all um yes indeed uh so um the standard if you want if you want to start and let's talk about the evolving of our plan so the uh, the zero by 30 model is to offset the residual, the sort of hard to achieve things at the end in 2030. Having you know worked on all the stuff you have direct control over and get that as get that to zero or as near as damn it. Um, and then the residuals are then offset. That was uh, the plan for the net zero strategy. Along with the offering that further came to us with was also about um, the uh, the UN's carbon credit scheme, CERs, they, they call them, um, and about offsetting and what we'd like to do with that. So uh, we decided actually what we could do is offset everything up front. Um, so in fact, more down our actual core footprint, which is uh, just about just over 5,900 tonnes, which includes all three scopes. Uh, we decided to offset 6,500. At the back end of December, we did that as 1st of January. So we've offset more than so more than we admit and then we'll continue to do that on that benchmark every year um, until 2030 and then we'll decide what we're doing in 2030 mm -hmm. um, and then while continue the net zero 
infrastructure and investment process uh, to get our actual emissions uh, further to, to zero as we go along. So it's essentially it's a carbon neutral strategy now with a net zero strategy. Uh, so we're coming at it from both directions, which which I think is perhaps one of the most honest ways of doing it in, in, to my mind. So we're trying to deal with both the the realism of the infrastructure and trying to make it as, as, as sustainable as possible while actually trying to address what we're currently doing on a year-by-year -year basis. Uh, so ideally the gap between what we emit um, and what we've offset will get progressively larger as time goes forwards. Uh, so we, uh, we, so yeah, we've trying to come at it from both directions. There's obviously a cost to that, mm. uh, you know. But the, you know, so we've, we've invested in two projects, both strange enough in India, um, that through the UN uh, uh, CER program, um, which you know is is pretty much the highest uh, in terms of uh, efficacy, uh, is it to a very high standard. It's uh, it's not one of those shady credit companies you know that you can buy it so, so we're pretty pretty confident that it's a legit uh, business practice um you can find our certificates online they're on the un's database for example so they are very uh, very much open to anybody to see uh so offsetting fits pretty strongly in the plan uh, initially at the end and now very much at the start uh, and progressively as we go forward um yeah, I don't know if this is as unique, but I do know there's others in uh, certainly among the plant mark group who have done something similar as well. So they've essentially become carbon neutral while also attempting to be net zero. We've had to do a lot of educating internally just to, to, to clarify the two terms and what they mean. Uh, and because obviously they sometimes get used interchangeably in error. Uh, so we've had to make it very clear with the stakeholder groups that we what we've done doesn't mean we've finished year by 30 it means that we've decided to do one thing while also doing the other. Mm. I was going to ask you what advice you'd give to other sustainability professionals choosing an offsetting scheme but it sounds like yeah that transparency that education piece and then just making sure you you choose the best most verified um, route of action you you can is is what you flagged already. Yeah definitely 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 because it it can be seen as a gap we're very conscious of of the how it looks to uh, to the outside world that you look like you're buying your way out of a problem so hence you know uh, uh, offsetting on its own is not a solution um, it's got to be attached to um, a net zero approach so that would be my view on that but uh, yeah and then trying to get it is you know you can there's UK based schemes we look to them but obviously they are relatively expensive compared to the, to the UN process as well so you need to look at what your budgets can afford and what you'd like to do um, but yeah I could highly recommend uh, them uh, as a means of doing that in terms of uh, demonstrating to your stakeholders that you are legitimately doing it and it's uh, and look at this difficult you can find it on the UN website. Yes thanks once again to Mark for all of his insight we will of course be keeping an eye on child-based partnerships progress towards net zero and also any of its other sustainability related announcements so watch this space. But of course the net zero movement is global and it is only growing in the run-up to COP26. With this in mind, it's time to come on to our Net Zero News in Brief, the part of this podcast where we round up some of the major news stories from this space in the past few weeks. Firstly, seeing as the G7 summit starts next week, I think it's only right to start there. A group of more than 50 environmental charities and campaign groups have written to UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, arguing that the government's oil and gas sector deal for the North Sea is not compatible with its long-term Net Zero target. 
The deal with the letter states should be altered to ban all new licensing for additional oil and gas extraction capacity and be amended to give trade body the Oil and Gas Authority a net zero remit. The call to action comes after a piece of news I'm sure we've all seen. Shell lost a major lawsuit and will now be required to improve its climate targets. Secondly, um, heading over to the finance sector, six leading lenders to the steel industry, namely ING, Citi, Goldman Sachs, Societe Generale, Standard Chartered and Unicredit, have co-created a new working group focusing on decarbonisation. Called the Steel Climate Aligned Finance Working Group, the entity is working to create a pathway to investing in a manner compatible with global net zero by 2050, and hopes other banks will adopt it. This was welcome news after a recent WWF report revealing that UK banks financed emissions each year more than double the nation's total annual emissions. Last but by no means least, news from the leaders of the G7 themselves. The nations have agreed on a joint commitment to ensure that their power sectors reach net zero in the 2030s. The specific date varies on a nation-by-nation basis. There is also a new commitment to stop direct funding for coal-fired power plants in OECD nations by the end of 2021. I hope that's provided just a taste of some of the many, many happenings in the climate action space over the past month or so. To keep up to date with all of the headlines, head to our website ed.net and use the button in the top right to subscribe to our email newsletters, which are packed full of net zero news and analysis. We're almost out of time for this podcast episode, which is just as well because it is, if you can tell from my voice, 100% hay fever weather and the temptation to sneeze for me here is going up second by second. Um, but before I sign off and find, um, find, <laughs> find some tablets, I do want to quickly flag the next events we have coming up at Edie, which may well be of interest to you if you have enjoyed listening to this episode. Our next online event is a 45-minute masterclass on Wednesday, June 23rd, focusing on reporting in line with the recommendations of the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, that's the TCFD. That session will be chaired by ED's content editor, Matt Mace, and is hosted in association with Inspired Energy. Wherever your organisation is at on its climate risk reporting journey, we hope that this session will empower, inspire, and have a chance to have your most pressing questions answered. Full info and registration can be found at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. Also, as part of our Countdown to COP26 festival, we have a bumper week of events lined up for you in July. On July 13th and 14th, we're hosting our second virtual sustainable investment conference, with expert speakers confirmed from organisations including JP Morgan Chase, BlackRock and Aviva Investors. Then, on July 15th, it's our first Clean Energy and Transport Forum. The Department for Transport's Parliamentary Undersecretary of State, Rachel McLean, has been confirmed as one of our keynote speakers, and we have a wealth of other experts taking part in panel discussions, live Q&A sessions, and virtual speed networking during the day. A big thank you to our festival partners, Grosner and O2, for making these events possible. For full information and tickets to both of them, you can visit ed.net forward slash COP26 forward slash festival. That's ed.net forward slash COP26 forward slash festival. I hope to see as many of you there as possible. Um, But for today, we are all out of time for the episode. So it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.